You know, it's cold, but nobody feels the cold. All they feel is the wind. The wind in Winnipeg. How can you complain? It's wind, wind, and we're going to go for another wind. I say three feet. That's a three feet. We've been season ticket holders for 10 years, a lot of suffering, yes. so they finally have a good team. Yes. Oh, it's been a relief and a pleasure. We're going to win the Great Cup. Three, three times. We're five now. Three times. And that is where we begin this morning. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are in the Grey Cup. They beat the BC Lions. Let's start with the game, and then we'll talk about the Cup. Bob Irving, sports broadcasting legend, joins me here at the top of the show. Good morning, Bob. All is right with the world, Hal. The Bombers are going to another Grey Cup, and you're back on the radio. <laughs> well, thank you, pal. I really appreciate that. Um what a crazy game, or at least the start of it was yesterday. Yeah, uh, the Bombers head coach, Mike O'Shea, referred to it, Hal, as a weird game, and I think it was. There were just lots of unusual developments. The, the Bombers looked like they were going to run away and hide. They scored on their first possession. Then they blocked a kick deep in B.C. territory, and we thought, well, they're going to be up 14 nothing before you know it. And then the command center overruled the block kick, saying that uh, the contacting or roughing the kicker would negate that, then BC would keep the ball, and then Janarian Grant, the Bombers' great kick returner, messed up a punt and basically handed BC a touchdown, and so, you know, lots of weird things happened, but when you add it all up, uh, it made for an exciting, entertaining, a wild and crazy game that really came down to the wire, although the Bombers were in control all along. They were ahead throughout the entire game, and you never felt that they were going to lose control, but they could never deliver a real knockout punch. And one of the plays that, you know, you know, stopped them from doing that was a missed convert by Mark Leggio that was yeah. returned for two points. So there's a three-point differential there, and that could have been massive at the end. Anyway, uh, the Bombers did prevail. They always find a way, don't they? Since 2019, they find a way to win, and it doesn't matter how it looks. They... When the game is over, they're on the winning end of it, and here we go off to another Grey Cup. Well, I've said this many times, but that is the difference now with this Bomber team, and when I say that, I mean really the team that we've pretty much seen over the past few years, and we're ready to try and three-peat to win another Grey Cup. The team, even when they're behind, and they they weren't really behind in this game, but as you said, it kind of came down to the last play. BC certainly had a chance, but the Bombers were in control. There have been teams in the past, Bob, where – you were just, even if they were ahead late in the game, you were nervous. You were, oh, this is not good. What's going to happen here? And often it didn't go well. With this team, it, it seems like it goes well all the time. Well, I don't think that happens by accident either, Hal. You know, they have a tremendous amount of talent for starters. Uh, they've got great togetherness. The team, the core of the team has been together now for a number of years, and that's really critically important. They never lose their poise or their confidence, even when some things go wrong. You know, they stay the course, they don't panic, they don't start taking a bunch of dumb penalties that you see other teams sometimes do. And that's all, uh, you know, Michael Shea's leadership and the way he's taught these players. They have a tremendous coaching staff, again, that's been together as a group for a number of years. And so they find a way, and they find a way because of their confidence, their poise, their never-give-up attitude, and, you know, you can't do this without good players, and they have an awful lot of good players, 
And they also, Hal, have a great, great fan base. I sat in the stands for most of yesterday's game, and I'm telling you, the noise level was unbelievable. And the fans are having a great time, and I, I really enjoyed that this season, being down in the stands quite a bit, is seeing that the fun that people are having, you know, and they're wandering around the concourse, they're all laughing and chuckling and saying hello to people, and a lot of them are drinking beer too, Hal. Uh, but they're... <laughs> They're having a great time, and it creates an atmosphere. And, of course, at the end of yesterday's game, uh, the fans were so noisy that the BC Lions took a time count violation. They couldn't get the plays conveyed. That might have given them a chance to, you know, go downfield and, and, and tie the game because they, they couldn't communicate because of the noise the fans were making. So I think the fans should tap themselves on the back for what they did at the end of the game in particular yesterday, but all season long, the home field advantage that they give the Bombers. Yeah, it re- it really was incredible uh, seeing the crowd play a role in the game late in the game like that, impacting yeah. the ability of the BC Lions to to get a playoff properly. Uh, we'll get to the matchup in a second uh, in the Grey Cup, which is of course coming up in Regina. Our Bombers will take on the Argos, including Andrew Harris, a former Bomber, um, and I'll talk about. Oliveira in a second and and the performance that he put on yesterday what can you tell us what do you know Bob what are your people telling you you still have contacts what are they telling you about this injured ankle uh with Zach Galaris well everybody around the team is hopeful that he's going to be fine and and ready to go on Sunday in Regina he was interviewed after the game and he said that it's not a question He'll, he'll be fine I think a very positive sign was that when the game ended, he couldn't go out for the last minute or two because he was limping quite badly. But when the game ended, he hung around on the field and he went over and talked to Nathan Rourke, the BC quarterback. And so he didn't rush to the locker room, you know, to immediately get treated. It looked like one of those ankle turn things that is either a a sprain, it can be a very mild sprain, or it can be a more serious sprain. So I I can tell you this, Hal, as much as I'm still close to some people over there. There'll be nobody who'll be able to find out exactly what the injury is or how it's going to impact the game on Sunday. We'll know more later this week when the Bombers get to Regina and have their first practice on Wednesday, whether or not Kolaris is practicing. If he's out there practicing, then all is well. If he's not, if they hold him back, then you know there is some sort of concern. But based on everything that was said after the game last night, there seems to be a degree of confidence that he'll be ready to go. Whether he'll be 100% or not is remains to be seen, but he'll be ready to go on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mentioned the Bombers uh, taking on the Argos, of course, in the game uh, in Regina. I feel like Brady Oliveira threw the gauntlet down yesterday. Here we go. Let's Andrew, see you in the Great Cup. Well, Oliveira was sensational yesterday. You know, he's had a terrific year. He really has got off to a very slow start, Hal, but in the last half of the season... He was fantastic, and yesterday he ran so hard and so tough, and he took on BC tacklers, almost invited contact, the way Andrew Harris would in the years he was here. 130 yards rushing, 37 on four receptions, so he had 167 yards, and he played like a man possessed. Even the head coach of the BC Lions, Rick Campbell, said after the game, wow. That guy was on a mission tonight. He was running hard. And you don't hear the opposing coach say that very often about a player from the other team. So what a great day for Brady Oliveira. And he's such a proud Winnipegger, Hal. You know, you hear him talk all the time about being from Winnipeg. And 
he just loves to play here in his hometown and all the rest of it. So it was a it was a beautiful story yesterday watching him play the way he did and not make the fans forget about Andrew Harris because we'll never forget about Andrew Harris right. and what he contributed here. But just remind them, hey, you know, Andrew's gone. He had a great run here. He's gone now. And you know what? Uh, we got a new a new guy here who can play this position pretty well too. Well, and Brady even said some really nice stuff about Andrew after the game, right? Yeah. And said, I'm looking forward to seeing him. And obviously, uh, Andrew, uh, to some degree, mentored uh, him, mentored Brady. And so, but this, it, what a great storyline. Because let's be honest, you know, um, the Argos, wah, wah, a little bit, right? I mean, they don't even know in Toronto the game's happening, Bob. Yeah. Um, so I like the storyline. Andrew Harris, you know, taking on his former Bombers and... Brady and the game that he just played and what he'll do in the Grey Cup and we're playing in Regina. The Riders are not in the Cup. I mean, just th- there are so many great little storylines. What about the ankle with Zach Calares? This is going to be an exciting week. Yeah, they're all kind. You're right. There are all kinds of storylines. One of the big ones will be, of course, regarding Calares and his ankle. Uh, the other one will be the Bombers against Andrew Harris, uh, their former great teammate. Uh, the Argos are playing Winnipeg Hal for the first time in the Grey Cup since 1950. Can you believe that? It's hmm. been 72 years wow. since Winnipeg and Toronto played in a Grey Cup game, and I wasn't aware of that until late in the game yesterday when it, uh, you know, I checked it and I thought because I knew it had been a while since the Bombers and Argos had played in a Grey Cup game. But 1950 is the last time they played in the Grey Cup. So it's a unique matchup in that regard. The other storyline will be the Argos quarterback, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, who's 34 years old. He's the ultimate, ultimate sports journeyman. He's been cut by about 11 teams in his career. He's played at every level of professional football. He arrived in Toronto in 2017, and he's had kind of a star-crossed career in Toronto because some games he's great and other games he's just awful. But he was very good yesterday in the East Final. He's really had a solid year, so there'll be a lot of focus on McLeod Bethel-Thompson. But you're right, there's a ton of storylines. Mike O'Shea, of course, the former Argo against his old team now, and O'Shea yep. will be in his sixth Grey Cup, and he's won all five of the other ones he's been in, Hal. Two of them as a player, one as an assistant coach, and two as the bomber head coach. So, yeah, the, the storylines are endless, and I love the matchup. You know, people are tired of seeing Winnipeg against Hamilton, for heaven's sakes, and a lot of fans across the country are probably tired of seeing the Bombers. But now a Winnipeg-Toronto matchup again for the first time in 72 years makes it a, a great week for stories out of the Grey Cup. You know, you talk about the Bombers having great players, and, and they've had great players for a few years, and here we are on the verge, hopefully, don't want to jinx anything, but hopefully on, on winning the Grey Cup for a third time, back-to-back-to-back uh, Grey Cups. Um, but Mike O'Shea, great players, but we got to talk about the coaches, and you mentioned Mike O'Shea. You know, I think over the past several years while he's been here, we've, we've sort of laughed about his one-game-at-a-time mentality, and, you know, we've we've poked fun at it, but, boy, has it worked. I think the, the players have bought into that, Bob, and they really do, I think, certainly Mike does, but I think the players, for the most part, they look at it like, hey, it's just one more game. we got to go out and do our job and win one game is... As much as we poked fun at that uh, attitude, that approach, it has worked. Oh, big time. And, you know, they were celebrating after the win yesterday, of course, but then all the players said, yeah, this is great, but, but 
we got one more mountain to climb. And, of course, that's the Grey Cup, and that comes back to what you're saying. I'll never forget a comment that Badger Bob Johnson made many years ago. He was the coach of the Calgary Flames in the NHL, and he said, coaching, when you're a head coach, you're selling, and you can only hope that the players are buying what you're selling. Well, the players in Winnipeg buy what Mike O'Shea sells, and what he sells is, is basic. It's, it's team first, focus on the game week to week, and when one game is over, put it behind you. There's no point worrying about it or celebrating it to any extent and look ahead to the next one. And so that focus that O'Shea and the culture that he's built here too, we've talked so much about that, but the focus that he's built in, and he's got great leaders on the team who also have bought in and kind of lead the way and make sure that everybody else is following along in the same sense. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, a mantra that served the Bombers very, very well, and they'll be hard at work today, I guarantee you, looking at film, and so will the Argos, looking at film of the Bomber game and getting ready for Sunday's big matchup in Regina. Got a prediction, or is it too early for that? Well, I'm going to assume that Zach Kolaris will be able to play. The Bombers and Argos only met once this year. The game was in Toronto. It was fairly early in the season, and the Bombers won it. But they were outplayed in a lot of areas of that game. And uh, Toronto's place kicker, Boris Beatty, missed a convert on with about 30 seconds left of the game that would have sent it to overtime, and the Bombers escaped with a one-point victory. So I would say this. The Argos aren't to be sold short. But the Bombers, Hal, have won 33 of the last 39 games they've played, 33-6. and six. Hmm. So, you know, who in their right mind would bet against them at this point? So yeah. I'll just leave it at that. I, I like them. I like everything about them. I don't think they played very well yesterday in some areas, and I think they will play better this weekend. And, yes, I think the Bombers will win their third straight Grey Cup. Let's hope. Hey, Bob, listen, I couldn't think of a better way to kick off my first show back than to have you on uh, talking about the Bombers heading to the Grey Cup. Uh, I have to thank you, my friend, for all my very short political career. Your support was endless, undying, and I will always appreciate your friendship and the support you showed me over the past few months, you and Dave, both of you. Thank you. Well, Hal, it's, uh, I appreciate that, and I'll right back at you. It's kind of, a, I think, a mixed blessing. I know how badly you wanted to become a city councillor, but uh, I would say the bottom line is you lost, but the listeners won, and you're back doing what you've done so well all your life. So it's great to have you back on the air, and uh, let's look forward to Sunday and a great game in Regina. Here, here. Bob Irving, sports broadcasting legend. We wrap up our one here with Jason Kinderchuk. Jason, good morning. Hal Anderson, how are you doing, buddy? I am excellent. Thank you for doing this. Anything change in your uh, resume here uh, on the business card, or can I read it the way I've read it before this? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, still, still moderately adequate virologist that surrounds himself by uh, by by having lots of really smart people. Uh, to, to well, make things, uh, successful. well, let me read. Let me read it then, because you deserve it. Canada Research Chair, Assistant Professor, Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases, University of Manitoba. Good to talk to you again. Likewise. Um, can we start with the mask mandate or the idea of a mask mandate? Here's the story out of uh, Ontario this morning. 
Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health is strongly recommending, those are the words, strongly recommending everyone wear masks in all indoor public settings, including schools and child care centers. But Dr. Kieran Moore is stopping short of imposing a mask mandate. We've heard talk of a mask mandate here in Manitoba as well. Ontario, like us, dealing with surging cases of a pediatric respiratory virus which has seen children's hospitals in Ottawa and Toronto overwhelmed in recent weeks. Some have cancelled non-urgent surgeries in order to redeploy staff to the emergency department and intensive care units. How do you feel about the idea of a mask mandate? I don't think it would fly. Things would have to be pretty bad for people to go along with a mask mandate again. Yeah, and, and I, th- I agree with you, Helen. I think the, the issue that we find ourselves in is, listen, things are bad, right? Like they, we certainly have seen a surge in uh, in influenza and RSV. Influenza, the trajectory does not look good at all for this year. And, and it's uh, it's an H3N2 virus, so it certainly uh, you know has some increased severity that's packed with it. The, the big question is, will you get public buy-in? And then how do you do the implementation? Because we're, you know, right now, the big surge right now is in pediatric patients. So where are you going to actually get um, you know, get that uptake. How is it going to be done? And to what end? Because there's a bigger question, which is flu season extends out well into, uh, you know, into the early part of 2023 RSV, same thing. Um, so are we looking at a mask mandate that's going to occur over the entirety of that season? Is it only going to be over this initial surge? And then we move back. What is that going to look like? How do you remove those? It's a, it's a really difficult situation. There's a lot of caveats in all of this. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like we're back to a point early in the pandemic where we didn't have a mask mandate, but people were wearing masks yep. because they were worried about their, you know, it, we, we, it was a different situation that we didn't have vaccines. Now we've got vaccines. But I think back to a time when I worried about my mom and my mother-in-law, right? Or our, our small children. And many people masked up for that, even though they weren't required to wear a mask. I kind of feel like we're back to that uh, point where it's personal responsibility again. It, it is, right? And, and I think one of the big things we, we've got to be discussing in the background of this, so we, we, we certainly talk about masks and the promotion of masks and why they're important and what type of mask to use. We have to appreciate we have an influenza vaccine that is available. We need to get kids vaccinated. We need to get our adult population vaccinated because we always lag in, in influenza vaccination. So if we have these tools that are available, we have to look at this from, from the aspect of trying to use the multiple layers of protection. It's masks plus. It's not just masks and nothing else. So we, we've got to get back to, to having those discussions too and ensuring people have wide access to, to vaccine uh, availability as well. You've mentioned and we've been talking about flu, R, RSV, uh, COVID. Of those three, flu, RSV and COVID, what worries you the most right now? <laughs> Tough question. I, they, or is it all three, right? Because it's sort of a perfect storm. They're all three. I mean, I, I always get my back up against the wall a little bit with influenza because it, I think it is largely a forgotten or neglected disease because we always think of flu as the, you know, kind of, you know, stomach flu and all these other, you know, kind of flu-like things that are not necessarily influenza. And, mm-hmm. and we tend to downplay uh, how serious it is. Flu is a, is a big killer each year across the globe. This year uh, certainly does not look like it's going to be uh, any exception and probably a little worse than, than other years. 
we were talking, well, the start was, and I played a bit of Cynthia Carr, uh, your, your and my epidemiologist mm-hmm. friend talking about this term immunity debt, and then Marla called in, and, and she said, listen, I'm not going to argue. Uh, she has all her shots, you know, wears a mask, all that kind of stuff. She says, I'm not going to argue with the scientists. But she does feel like there's maybe something to, uh, especially children, not being exposed to illness, sickness uh, during the pandemic when everything was locked down. And now it's payback time. Is there anything to that? I, I kind of agree with Marla, or am I wrong? Well, I, I think there, there are aspects in this that, that I don't think we fully understand. I mean, one thing we have to appreciate is that when we talk about lockdowns, like we had certainly things that were locked down, but it wasn't a full-scale lockdown. Like our my, my child was still in daycare throughout the entirety of the pandemic, so she was still right. getting exposed to other kids. So, it, you know, we, we were still seeing exposures. There were kids certainly that were very, very young that were born during the pandemic that may not have gotten that exposure to, to flu or RSV because we simply didn't see high rates of them in the community. Um, th- those are, are, are going to be concerns. And of course, we know, listen, when we get an immune response, it is not you know, we get, you know, we have immunity and now it's 100% all the time. That wanes over time as well. And of course, with flu, there's new strains and all these other aspects. So uh, it's, that's my roundabout way of saying this is very complex. And certainly this is where I rely on, on my immune, uh, immunology counterparts to be able to, uh, to give their expertise on this. Jason Kinderchuk, appreciate it. Talk soon. Good to talk to you, Hal. Same here. Jason Kindrichuk joining us today. Uh, we can certainly open the phones up on this 204-780-6868, 204-780-6868. You can call that number. We'll squeeze your thoughts in uh, where we can. we got another hour to go. And getting text messages and emails, text messages to that same number, 204-780-6868, or email me, hal at cjob.com. My email's working again, hal at cjob.com. A couple of text messages and, and many welcoming me back. And I, I really, truly appreciate that. A couple of others here. Hal, good for you for pointing out the Yellowstone Channel gouging, wanting another $10 a month. I have Paramount on Bell MTS Cable. Why not broadcast in Canada like last year? We're going to talk about that next half hour at about 11.15, so 20 minutes from now with Jeff Braun, uh, who will put on his couch potato hat after bringing you the 11 o'clock news here in about five minutes. Uh, sorry, Jeff, who's that? Let's get Francis on quickly here on the phone, 204-780-6868. Hi, Francis. Hi. I am a mask wearer. My two-year-old grandson has cancer, and I will always have my mask on. Yep, and I think a lot of people are in that situation where they have somebody in their family or a close friend immuno, immunocompromised, and they, they wear the mask for those reasons. Good for you. Thanks for the quick call. I appreciate it. And then I want to get this one in here ahead of the 11 o'clock news quickly with Jeff Braun. Hal, good morning. You may have lost the election, but you are in a far better place to hold those elected uh, those elected accountable. You have the radio airwaves, so how about getting these people that were elected for interviews and ask them the tough questions? Don't let them spin their answers. You can do a lot of good. Be tough on them. Good luck. Thank you. And I intend on that. I, as I said uh, on election night when I, I did not win, I said I will hold the feet of this mayor and council to the fire. And I fully intend on doing that. A lot of great ideas coming up, uh, come up during an election campaign when everybody's trying to get elected. And then that stuff kind of goes away. As I told Kathy Kennedy the other day, uh, the other day on this show, I, I worry, you know, we were, we're not enough Winnipeggers are voting. The ones that do send the same people back to city hall 
in my opinion, many of them part of the problem. And so will the slide not continue? I hope that some of the stuff that was discussed during the campaign, because we've got some big issues out there, I hope some of the stuff that was discussed during the campaign actually happens, becomes a reality. I mentioned it's Pickle Appreciation Day. It is also World Diabetes Day. And joining us now to talk about that, Kelly Lampkin, Manager of Community Engagement at Diabetes Canada here in Winnipeg. Kelly, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Hal. How are you? Excellent. Good to talk to you. Thanks very much for doing this. Uh, World Diabetes Day, uh, I'll just tell you where I'd like to start, and and there's lots to talk about here, but I uh, I, I knew that it was a high number, but I was surprised to see that one in two people currently living have diabetes that is undiagnosed. Is that number still accurate? Yeah, so absolutely. Um, obviously, that's the importance of, of today. And we say here in Manitoba, it's one in three people that are living with diabetes or pre-diabetes. So it's, um, it's an epidemic that is, um, we're seeing increasing numbers around. And so that's the importance of creating awareness and importance of days like this and really coming together as a diabetes community and, and having the conversation um, to take action for your own health. And uh, yeah, the numbers the numbers are a little bit staggering for sure. We have about four hundred and twelve thousand Manitobans that are uh, affected by diabetes and pre-diabetes here, and about eleven point seven right across the country. So everybody seems to know somebody, and so it's important to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. And often undiagnosed. And and you're right. That's why a day like today, World Diabetes Day, is important because it at least it brings uh, the issue, the the sickness, the the disease to the forefront and reminds people that, hey, you know, maybe I better get it checked out. Um, listen, there's there are technology, there's new technology, technological advancements when it comes to monitoring and treating the disease. But I want to talk first, and I'll get into that, but I want to talk first about where we're at with the disease and where we want to be. I know the goal is a cure one day, but where are we at and what sort of advancements have we seen with the disease? For sure. So we're uh, throughout the month of November, which is Diabetes Awareness Month, and um, really every day our goal is um, encouraging individuals to take action for their own health. Um, As I mentioned, it's an increasing um, epidemic. And so um, with 640 new cases, uh, you know, talk diagnosed daily it's uh, one in every three minutes and so it's not slowing down um, so diabetes canada is creating impact um, about the chronic disease we fund research so there's life advancing research every day um, we can talk a little bit about the the different technologies that are coming out but um, just really encouraging canadians to you know start the conversation and rally rally around um, you know having those conversations with their healthcare provider um, Diabetes, type 2 diabetes, uh, can be prevented and or delayed. And so the quicker that we can have those conversations um, around individuals that may be at risk, you mentioned individuals that are at risk for diabetes, um, it's really important to recognize what those risk factors are and have that conversation with your with your doctor to see if, you know, um, you know monitoring that um, and testing for those those risk factors is, um, is something that they want to incorporate into their health uh, yearly and making sure it is a progressionary disease. So uh, the quicker that we can um, die, have a diagnosis of prediabetes or take action for our health, um, we'll further sort of delay complications or hopefully eliminate complications. So, um, yeah, so lots of advancements in technology, lots of advancements. There's lots of really great things happening in diabetes um, and the diabetes community, but um, we certainly need to make sure that we're 
advocating and we're still, um, you know, getting out there and having those, um, those difficult conversations and making sure we're supporting one another. Mm-hmm. What are some of the obvious symptoms or signs that, hey, maybe you better see your doctor, you might have diabetes? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the, so if you have um, extreme thirst, um, if you find that you're going to the washroom a lot, if your vision seems a little bit blurred, um, just generally feeling unwell, um, you definitely want to make sure that you're you're uh, seeking out a healthcare provider. And if you don't have one, uh, a walk-in clinic is um, just mention your risk factors. Your risk factors, if you have somebody, if your parents are living with type 2 diabetes, or if you have a grandparent, you're automatically at higher risk for diabetes, as well as certain ethnicities. And so if you are within the Indigenous community and also um, African, Caribbean, Asian and South Asian, um, they're predisposed to having a higher risk for diabetes. And so really it is just seeking out your healthcare professional. Um, a pharmacist is a fantastic advocate. So anybody that you can, you know, start to say, I'm a little bit concerned, I'm starting to feel unwell, and um, it's appropriate for me to take action. And here in Winnipeg and in Manitoba, how do we compare to other cities in the country and other provinces when it comes to diabetes? Yeah, we have some of the highest rates per capita, I think, because we have um, larger incident rates in our northern communities, our Indigenous populations. We're a bit of a, you know, a unique melting pot. And so... Um, so we do have that sort of challenge and access to, you know, social, economic and, um, you know, access to healthy foods. Um, so we have we have that unique challenge here in Manitoba, but we work quite closely as an association with the healthcare providers that are located in that community, in those communities to, um, you know, assist with any sort of accessible education. And, um, and like you said, you referenced the risk factors and just the more education that's out there, the more we get sort of empowered to take um, action for our own health. And so that's just extremely important to have those, that communication and open communication channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, as I mentioned, is, and that's why we're talking to Kelly, today is World Diabetes Day, and there's a website, worlddiabetesday.org, worlddiabetesday.org. Um, give us a local site and events, any way that people can help out as you fundraise. Give us as many details as you can here, Kelly. Absolutely. So um, mention we're encouraging people to take action. So a couple of key things um, that we have is we have a government where we're really trying to um, lobby the government and had some great wins as of late with our Diabetes 360 for the federal government and provincial government to adopt a diabetes strategy and framework um, in Canada. And so um, we would encourage people to visit diabetes.ca/framework to get involved. Um, that's a huge uh, piece of our advocacy efforts, making sure you talked a little bit about uh, access in Manitoba and how we compare to different provinces. So we're lagging a little behind. So we need to make sure that we're nudging government to support us on a continuous basis. The other thing that we have happening, which is really exciting, is we have a, a great partnership with PharmaSafe stores throughout the month of November. And so you can visit a local PharmaSafe store and um, donate to a great cause, which is great. So at, uh, at checkout. Um, they'll be encouraging you to um, take action to support somebody that you know and love with diabetes throughout the month of November. So please do that. As well as for the fifth um, year, we're actually partnering with Dynacare to host a Dynacare for Diabetes event. And this actually is really in creation of awareness and um, individuals at risk for diabetes. And so throughout the month of November, um, you can, any individual, whether they have a healthcare provider or not, can... um, go into a Dynacare Labs location and request an A1C test. Um, and then that's a sort of three-month three blood glucose level uh, testing. 
throughout the month of November, they can go into those locations. We're also hosting mobile clinics, and we happen to be hosting them today. Uh, we had one from 8 till 10 a.m. at the Wellness Institute, and we're back there this afternoon from 3 to 6 at the Wellness Institute. So you can pop in, have your A1C testing, and uh, the Diabetes Canada volunteers will actually do a can risk test, which is just uh, a non-invasive test sort of assessing your risk for type 2 diabetes. And we're in um, Brandon on November 22nd at the Healthy Living Centre uh, from 3.30 till 6.30. And then on November 24th from 11 to 2 at Ma Mauichi um, Centre at 3.63 McGregor, McGregor from 11 till 2. So it's a really important campaign that focuses on um, individuals at risk for type 2. And you can have conversations with us. Um, and we'll support you in, in whatever you need in getting that education and, and sort of the next step. World Diabetes Day. Thank you, Kelly. Okay, thanks. Al Anderson with you, connecting Winnipeg. Let's bring in uh, Jeff Braun. He'll be bringing you the news at 1130, but he's wearing his couch potato hat right now. Jeff, how are hey, you? I'm good, pal. Welcome back. Excellent. Yes, thank you. And uh, <laughs> how does it feel being back at the station? Uh, it's different. It's, it was uh, Last week there was a kind of a first day of school vibe, and today it feels like a work day. Yes. Well, it's good to have you back at the station. I guess we'll all be there eventually. Yeah. Uh, I'm still here at the home studio, which I had to quickly get back into shape in order to be on the air here today. I think it's going okay so far, but I'll tell you what. I was wound up last night. Uh, we watched the new season or the first couple of hours of the new season of Yellowstone last night, which was available on Prime in the past, right? And we have a Amazon Prime uh, membership. At, but last night we had to sign up for a seven-day free trial of Paramount Plus in order to watch it. And then after that seven-day free trial, it's 10 bucks a month. Now, had I listened, and normally we do listen to the Couch Potatoes every week, and it's sort of required listening at our house, but Jackie's been working on a movie, so we didn't have it on on the weekend. But you explained this to people on the Couch Potatoes on CGOB this weekend. Yeah, because I, I also enjoy Yellowstone, and I've seen the first four seasons, and I knew it was yep. coming back soon, and I wasn't sure when. I looked, I was like, oh, it's coming up this week. How come I haven't heard anything about it? How come when I turn on my uh, my Amazon Fire Stick, you know, the thing usually just assaults me with ads for Amazon shows, mm -hmm. and nothing about Yellowstone. So I looked into it. Oh, it's a Paramount Plus exclusive, and it's not on Amazon, and I emailed Amazon to double-check. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a situation where it was on Amazon because... Because there was no Paramount Plus in Canada, right. and that came online last year. So now going forward, they're going to have, because why wouldn't they? It's their biggest show by far, so they want to put it on their uh, their streamer that they're starting up. So it's too bad for uh, too bad for all of us who don't want to get Paramount Plus. You either have to get it or you can't watch Yellowstone. You know, the streaming, there you go. Um, we're just talking to Jeff Braun about being back at the station, and uh, for whatever reason, it's a nice sunny day here in South Winnipeg. I don't know what's going on, but uh, my uh, my internet bumped out there, and uh, so Jeff Braun did what he had to, or, uh, Jeff Forche did what he had to do, and he uh, he went to uh, went to commercial. So uh, sorry about that, Jeff uh, Forche. Is Jeff Braun now gone? Has he left the uh, studio? There? I'm still here, Hal. 
Oh, good. Excellent. Yes, I wouldn't have so, banned you uh, in the middle of question? trouble like that. <laughs> Thank you, pal. Thank you. So my question to you was, you know, I'm paying more now than I was back in the old cable days with all these streaming services. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I've got four, and I don't have this Paramount Plus. I don't have uh, the Apple One. There's probably some other ones I don't have, and, you know, it just feels like every three months a new one is introduced. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real conundrum. And some of this stuff is so proprietary that... Like, a movie will be released on one of these platforms and never be available for rent anywhere else. So, like, in the old days, you know, if you had cable or you didn't have cable, you went to the theater, you didn't go to the theater, eventually you could rent any movie would be available for rent, right? So now it's not always the case. Some of these things, keeping stuff so close to the vest, if you don't get their service, you'll just never, ever get a chance to see it. Jeff, I'm going to let you go. Thanks a lot, pal. All right, thanks, Al.